Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Praise the Lord. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 and uh, verse 36. It was a few years ago that we looked at this scripture, but we're going to see some things from a very, very different angle today. And uh, my prayer today is that some things shift on the inside of you. And let, let me pray for you before we get started. Father, I pray that you again open the eyes of our understanding. Father, may this be more than just another preached word. That happens all the time. Father, may we catch it. May we see it. May we get a new glimpse of Jesus, Father, a new glimpse of worship. Would, would you just meet us in this moment, Lord, and, and we'll remember to give you all the honor and all the glory. And the church says, amen. amen. Again, Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees, um, you know, the Pharisees were, were Jesus' inveterate, incorrigible critics. And a lot of folks are scared of criticism, but here's the deal. Life without criticism is never anything to really brag about. All it means, you're not a threat to anyone. Great spirits always encounter violent opposition from mediocre minds. So one of the Pharisees asked him, he invited him out, asked Jesus to eat with him. Now, we see this throughout the Gospels. Jesus was willing to eat with sinners and, and saints, the righteous, the unrighteous, the famous, the infamous, those with obvious problems and those whose problems were not so clear, so obvious. But here's the deal. If everyone in your life is like you, you're probably living a very, very boring life. Jesus had a very, very exciting journey here. So he decided to go to this house, and he went to the Pharisee's house. Now, at first, it's not clear whether or not this man was trying to trap Jesus, like was typically the case with with the Pharisees, or this man was genuinely uh, curious. Whatever the case, though, Jesus was willing to take the risk. And here's the deal. Only those willing to go too far ever find out how far they can go. And Jesus, he loved us enough to to take risks and, and do things perhaps that others wouldn't do. And he came into the Pharisee's house. And though there was this ongoing opposition, he sat down to eat. This is something my pastor taught me. He said, you cannot influence people that you avoid. But the, the, the balance of that statement is you also got to be cautious about wasting energy and, and too much time with people that aren't interested in growing. Now, I don't understand all the calculus that was going on in, in, in the mind of God here, but what is clear is that progress usually begins at the end of our comfort zone. There's usually some level of risk involved in moving the ball forward. Verse 37, and behold, or watch this, peep this, however you want to say this, a woman in the city who was a sinner. This was idiomatic, if you will. It was a Jewish way of saying This woman had a disagreeable sexual history. Let's say it that way. Did I say that pretty good? But she was a woman that no matter how much she changed, she would always be remembered by the worst period in her life. You see, never judge a person's whole story based on only one chapter. I'll do that. Never judge a person's whole story 
based on just one chapter. And when she knew she heard from somebody that Jesus sat at the table, obviously this woman had been impacted by Christ's ministry. And, and she knew that most of folks in this house were going to be very uncomfortable with her company. But she was willing to face whatever criticism she had to face in order to be in the master's presence again. And once you experience God's acceptance, everyone else's opinions loses all its relevance. And this was the mindset of this woman. And when she heard that her master, Jesus, sat at that table despite where it was. And it wasn't uncommon. It seems strange that she just kind of barged in, but that's not really what happened here. It wasn't uncommon for invited guests to, to come to dinner and parties and, and sit along the walls, typically outside the table, and listen in on the conversation, especially when you had such a famous uh, rabbi as, as Jesus present. And actually, when a person allowed this, this spoke of their largesse, this spoke of their generosity and their graciousness. So it boded well for the owner of the home, and it, it was a real good look for this Pharisee. The Bible goes on and adds some details. Though. It says, she brought also an alabaster flask. Now, uh, alabaster, we, we don't have a whole lot of that that we use today in our everyday living, but it, it's a soft stone the ancients carved out the middle typically to pour perfume in. And back then, a woman sent, remember, they didn't bathe the way we did. They didn't have dial and zest and all that. And, you know, uh, they had real basic stuff that they used, and they didn't always uh, uh, use it with the frequency that we might uh, be accustomed to. But a woman sent was an important sign of her health, but also her status. So, you could smell how wealthy a woman was by the perfume she, she wore. So today it's about the red bottoms. I heard that from the ladies. <laughs> but back then, it was about your scent. And, you know, Jewish women, they wore, almost all the women, certainly those that, that weren't poor, they wore a perfume flask around their necks. And it was considered so much a part of their identity that they were allowed to even wear these, uh, and you know how particular they were about the Sabbath, but they were even allowed to wear these flasks around their neck on the Sabbath. So this was a very, very important part of, of a woman's life. It says, in an alabaster flask of, watch this, fragrant oil. Now, cheap perfume was pretty foul, smelled pretty foul in, in, in those days and in that period. The fact, though, that the Bible says it was fragrant means that it was rare and expensive. Now, this is the underside of the culture at the time, but beautiful prostitutes often became famous, and they would be celebrated amongst the men. And the more beautiful they were, the more likely they had wealthy patrons. So the odds were this was a very beautiful woman, and she had wealthy patrons that would frequent her place she stayed. <laughs> and this woman, everyone knows who she is. And by the way, women, it was, it was impolite for an older woman to go out in public with the hair uh, uncovered. The odds are her hair was down and only prostitutes wore their hair down. And that's why in a couple verses, it was so easy for her to tend to his feet. 
The Bible says she comes in and she has this expensive perfume around her neck. And she stood at his feet. This was a very, very traditional society. Neglecting the usual courtesy of washing the the feet of a teacher like Jesus was not accidental. Typically, you'd you'd have your servants to do it, but the husband, when he came in, his feet were washed. Certainly, when you have a, a very famous individual come to your house, the feet would be washed. So the fact that Christ's feet were not washed is telling us something about the attitude of the Pharisee that invited him to dinner. So she's stood at his feet and she's standing behind him, trying to be inconspicuous. The Bible says there she was weeping. When she heard that voice, when she felt that presence, she couldn't sit there unaffected. Now, sometimes our appreciation of God's love for us, his acceptance, despite our failures and weaknesses, it unconsciously causes gratitude to sneak out of the side of our eyes and run down our cheeks. You know, you're going to meet a lot of people in life probably stronger than me, certainly smarter than me, better looking than me, but you're not going to meet a whole lot of people more grateful than I am. And I pray that's also your testimony. So she's behind him weeping. And watch this. And we're in our the Successful Servant series. And she began. The best way to serve God is just by beginning. It's not deep. Just get started somewhere. No one had to coax her. No one argued with her, threatened her, none of that. She just saw an opportunity and took it. You'll never win if you don't begin. And she began. It's not scripted. Jesus, again, didn't, there was no burning bush. There was no great command. And listen, I will, you know, give you, you know, a mansion in heaven if you do X, Y, none of that. She just saw the opportunity to serve. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. There's a lot of reasons she's probably crying here. One thing is she noticed Jesus' you know, dirty, unattended feet, and she knew the insult. She saw a gap. But also, there's a level of gratitude. There's a whole lot going on. And, and what I want to say to you tonight is, you know, the ushers that greet us every Sunday, the folks in the parking lot that help park us every Saturday, the buses that, that drive us, the teachers that teach our classes, those that prepare our food for our special events, those that give in our offerings, all of these things are acts of gratitude. You may not be able to cry at Jesus' feet, but as we serve one another, we are serving the body, the feet, the hands of Jesus Christ every Sunday. When I stand behind this pulpit, these are my tears coming out, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for an opportunity to use my gift to to help solve a problem, meet a need, God, in your body. It was her way of saying thank you. Her way of saying, Lord, you thought I was worth saving. Lord, you thought I was worth keeping. You thought I was to die for. So you sacrifice your life so I could be free, so I could be whole, so I could tell everyone. I know if I could sing, I'd get that done, but that's Arthur's. I got to stay in my lane. But it's her way of saying thank you. And everything we do, 
one for, and they say, I can't help Jesus, literally. He's at the right hand of the Father. But you're the only Jesus I see. So the way I thank him, the way I cry on his feet, is by finding a way to be a blessing to you. And she wiped them with the hair of her head. Before she could even open her bottle, her tears just began to drip on his dusty feet. And without reserve, she used her own hair. This is a woman's pride as a towel. When you truly have a grateful heart, nothing's off limits for the Savior. And she didn't stop there. I mean, this is a woman's pride, her hair. It says she didn't kiss his lips. He wasn't one of her Johns. She kissed his feet. The Greek there indicates that she did this over and over and over. Literally, she was kissing his feet. Now, to all the Pharisees and everyone in the room, this wasn't a good look. How many of y'all know that? But what's important is Jesus did not turn around to stop her. This, this was quite scandalous for the young preacher to have this beautiful woman crying her hair loose. Come on, you don't do that in public. Kissing on his feet. But this is, this is showing us a whole lot about worship. We don't worship to be cute. We worship because he's worthy. He's worthy of every snot bubble that comes out my nose. He's worthy of every step I take, every hand I lift, and every emotion, every tear I might cry. I'm not worshiping to look good to you. I'm worshiping because what he did for me. And that's what that moment's all about. She's kissing his feet, and then she opens up a tool of her trade. This very, very expensive oil. And the feet that had been neglected, she treats with the greatest care. She anointed them with the fragrant oil. This was the, the fragrance that her customers remembered her by. Perhaps it was a perfume that was quite familiar to many of the men sitting around that table and religious leaders in their room. And I'm not being mean, I've I, I read, and, and, and these guys did some things. And probably as she's releasing her hair, crying on her feet, kissing them, the Bible doesn't say this, but, but I'm pretty sure there were some women in there rolling their eyes. And Simon noted every detail. Now, when the Pharisee, Simon, who had invited him, saw this, he starts speaking under his breath. He spoke to himself. Instead of rejoicing at the woman's repentance, he can only think about her mistakes. <laughs> See, you may, have, you may have known what someone has done, but that's not the same as knowing their story. And you might know some facts about someone, but you don't know their story. You know, I, I can judge the deed, but I can't judge you. Because some people do some crazy stuff. I don't know why they do it. And I can say what you did was wrong, but I can never say you ain't worth nothing. I can't ever say you don't have no value and you're irredeemable. 
That's judging. That's evil. We can call deeds wrong, but we can never call people invaluable, insignificant, unimportant, and write them off. Because folks will turn around and surprise you because God will take the worst and the least and bring them right up to the front and make them the best in our leaders. Well, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who in what manner a woman this is who's touching him. He was saying if, if Jesus was really a man of God, he would turn around and rebuke this foul woman for touching his righteous feet. Then it goes on and says, for she is a sinner. But here's the fact. Everyone in the room except Jesus was a sinner. The problem was only the prostitute realized it. Let me tell you, the hardest people you're ever going to reach is good people. It's not the prostitute. It's the folks that think they've lived morally good lives. Those are the folks that it's tough to break through. And Jesus answered. He read this guy's mail, demonstrating he was at least a prophet. You said if he was a prophet, he said, listen, I'm going to show you prophet here. And he said to Simon, he said, uh, Simon, I... I have something to say to you. He, but but I, I, know, I know Jesus, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I know he just, every, the, the room, man, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife, man. It's, it's a little tense. This woman's on his feet, and everyone's like, ah, you know, what's going on, and, and, and why is he allowing this, and people are getting upset and mad. I just think he let it sit there for a moment, and people are watching the cry, and, and he's just watching everybody in the room. And then he breaks that awkward silence. He says, Simon, let's talk. What I want you to see here, because people do some bad things. We read narratives like this, and we, we forget that God cared for the Pharisee as much as he cared for the prostitute. And what some people do, they go to extremes and they start being uber critical church people. And criticize church people, and then they criticize the church people for being so critical of the folks that don't go to church. But by doing so, they're they're basically being hypocritical because they're doing the same thing of the people they judge it. My Bible tells me God is not willing that any should perish. The bad and the better. Who wants to receive the award for being the best person ever to go to hell? <laughs> God's not willing that any should perish, but that all the Pharisees, the prostitutes, should come to repentance. God loves the church kids as much as the street kids, the housewife as much as the prostitute, the preacher as much as the pimp. A lot of open season on passes, but God loves that man, that woman. You hear what I'm saying? As much as anybody else. Stay with me. So he responds. And Simon says, uh, teacher, which is respectful. And this, this is a hint that, you know what, he's, he's open. He's trying to learn here. He says, teacher, say it. This Pharisee was conflicted. But under it all, he was still trying to, to understand. 
And we're complicated. And sometimes we're not as it seems on the surface. But I believe that Jesus accepted this invitation not just to sit with people that opposed him. It was to reach Simon in particular. And he read him obviously right, though on the surface, because of the disrespect, you can see that he was conflicted. And he didn't want anyone to think that he was showing this, this young upstart rabbi, preacher, whatever you want to call uh, what they thought of Jesus at that time. He didn't want to make anyone think that, you know, he was on his side or he was, you know, supporting him in any way. So he was you know, protecting himself, his reputation. So he didn't give him all the, the honors. But there's something in his heart drawing him, saying, man, this guy is saying something. There's something more to this guy than, than what folks are saying about him. And, and here's the deal. When you, you're sincerely looking for answers, God will provide them. And deep down inside, this guy was looking for answers. And, and some people we write off because of, you know, the way they carry themselves and, and all the rest. And, and you'd write him off. He's a Pharisee. You'd write him off. But Jesus saw deeper. And people, again, that you want to write off, be careful about that. Because you don't know what's going on in the heart. Begin to ask God, Lord, show me what's going on in this person, how to respond. And, and, and some people you should leave alone because they, you know, they, they're not open. And you just, you know, give them a chance or two, and then, you know, ah, okay, I hear you, maybe another time. But here, Jesus obviously called it right. Verse 41. So, Jesus begins to answer the conundrum that this Pharisee is in. And he explains it this way. He said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. Jesus understood sin differently than we do today. And he used an illustration of lending and borrowing to illustrate the proper perspective of it. You see, each of us will one day return our rentals back to the lending company and give an account for every mile, every dent and every ding we put into that vehicle, our instrument. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.